0: Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're back in our study of Paul's epistle to the Thessalonian church. This morning we're going to be in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, using one of the blue chair Bibles. It's on page 987. 987. The existence of God creates a standard. If it is true that God made the universe, then he gets to set the rules and standards for that universe. And since we believe that God not only made the universe, but that also through the Bible we know that he is perfectly holy, then his standard is holiness. Today and next week as we look at the beginning of chapter 4 we're going to be learning about the type of life that God approves of. And again with that understanding that it must be a holy life because he is a holy God. And what does it mean Because that sounds nice. You're supposed to live a holy life. But what does it mean to live a holy life? It's one of those big Christian words that needs definition and filled out. And so this week, in verses 1 to 8, we're going to see what this holy life that pleases God looks like, mostly through the lens of what not to do. And next week the focus will be on what to do. And you know that this is true in our own lives, that often it's helpful to know what not to do, and then what to do. Especially if you're a parent, grandparent, don't stick that fork in the outlet. Not that that's ever happened at my house. Do play nicely in the living room. Right? If you want to live a life please don't do these things but then also do these things. Now today as we look at verses 1 to 8 of what it looks like to live a holy life. Again that's the broad idea. Paul will be using the specific example of of sexual morality and as we look at what he says about sex here's what I want you to understand that he's using this both because apparently the Thessalonians needed specific teaching on this so he's addressing a specific need in that church but then also what he says about sex is an example or a case study for that larger rubric of living a holy life So as we work through the text, we're going to be making specific application about the issue of sex, but then also be able to make some more broad application to what does it mean to live a holy life that is pleasing to God? And ask questions like, are you pursuing the holy life that pleases God? Do you actually care about that? Does that affect your daily decisions? And what does God want and expect from you? It's so helpful when you're interacting with someone. What do they expect from me? How many conflicts have you had because their expectations did not meet your understanding of their expectations? (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) So we're going to answer at least part of that question. What does God expect from me? And what, (laughs) thanks, Florence, (laughs) that's going to be part of it. (laughs) But also, what does the Bible have to say about sexual holiness in particular? So our big idea, if you're following along in the outline this morning, is this. God calls us to live a holy life that is pleasing to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's first look, verses 1 and 2. Again, if you're following along in your outline there, you're going to see the holy life That pleases God. Follow along as I read verses 1 and 2. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now, verses 1 and 2 act as sort of a preamble to both verses 3 through 8, but then also 9 through 12. And what is Paul saying here? Number one, Paul and his team are speaking to them as messengers of God. These are not just Paul's suggestions and opinions. Paul is acting as God's mouthpiece to the Thessalonians. Look at the text We we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Or verse 2, the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So again, he is speaking to them on behalf of God. On top of that, these are things that they have heard before. Again, look at the beginning of verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you. Just as is oftentimes the case today, teaching from the Bible is what we need to be reminded of what we already know and to do what we already need to know what to do. But secondly, what I want us to see is that there is a way to live that is pleasing to God. Look at the text How you ought to walk and to please God. God is not neutral when it comes to how we live our lives. In the Bible, God gives us a pattern by which we are to live our lives. And to ignore what Paul is going to say in the following verses is the same as ignoring God himself. And this is what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians and us, what it means to follow God and to live a life that is pleasing to him. And thirdly, before we get into the rest of the passage, we need to highlight that the Thessalonians have done good work, but there is more work to be done. Look at the end of verse 1. How you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. As we saw at the beginning of the book of 1 Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church would be considered a good church. Here Paul knows that in fact they are living in a way that is pleasing to God. But is that enough? And in one sense, no. He calls them to continue a life pleasing to God and to live a life pleasing to God look at the text more and more it's important to see that we are never finished following Jesus we have never completed the Christian life at our Tuesday morning meeting Steve Morgan told me about a well intentioned but very flawed discipleship book that he had read and in this book, there was a depiction, a pictorial depiction of the discipleship process. And two, I believe, the good intention of connecting with the men that they wanted to read this book presented a, a process like that in a factory. That if you go through this assembly line process, at the end, you'll spit out a mature Christian. Now again, I will assume, I will assume good intentions and trying their best to creatively connect with people. But what they presented was, if you follow X, Y, and Z, you are the finished product. And guess what? You know this about yourself. I know this about myself. Secretly, we know this about each other none of us are a finished product this side of heaven. So to those who are walking in a way to please God, have some holy discontentment about your life. Always be pursuing holiness more and more. even if you are following Jesus well, continue to do so, knowing that you need to grow every day. And don't believe the lie, or when you look at someone else's life, and, oh, they must be finished. No, no, no. They are not done. You are not done. Pursue holiness. Pursue growth. Now, with that as the context of the passage... I want to move to the meat of the passage in verses 3 to 6, where we're going to see the holy will of God. Let's begin with verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does God want? What does God want from his people? Sometimes when we think about the issue is, what is God's will for my life? we focus on the decisions that we're supposed to make. Those big life decisions. If we're younger, who to marry or where to go to college? If we're a little older, what house to buy or what job to take? And we think, well, what is God's will for this decision? But really, when the Bible talks about God's will, it is not used in that way. God does not expect us to guess what was the right thing. Now part of this argument is understanding the sovereignty of God in our lives, but that's another sermon for another time. But when the Bible talks about God's will, one of the two main ways that it does so is in this, in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification." What does God want from you? He wants you to grow in holiness. Now when you look through this passage, you're going to see the word holy pop up again and again. And it's in here too, in this word sanctification. Because in English it would not sound good to say holification. We say sanctification, but it's the same word. It's the same family of words. But I want to highlight this short part of the verse. Because sometimes we make following God's will too complex. Or we're so afraid of messing it up that we don't do anything. Let me give a good example from my generation. Who should I marry? Well, if I marry that person, but if that was the wrong person for me to marry then I messed it up for the other person because that's who they were supposed to marry. And there's this cascading failure that affects generations and countries by the time you're done. (laughs) And I saw many people my age just so afraid to make a decision. They were frozen in fear. Now, should you take... A good amount of time to decide who you're going to marry? Yes. Okay, I'm not calling for foolishness here. But when the Bible talks about and what God is going to hold you accountable for when it comes to His will, can be summed up in are you growing in holiness? Are you pursuing sanctification? And so while the standard is higher because the goal is not getting the right answer, but pursuing holiness, in one way it is more simple. What does God want for me? He wants me to be holy in everything I do. A decision that was difficult for me when I was growing up was where to go to college. Well, the nice thing was I could be holy at college A or at college B. My geographic location did not affect my ability to pursue holiness. God did not reveal in the Bible which house you're supposed to buy. What he did tell you was live in holiness and pursue God's standard, not just your own. What is the will of God for your life your sanctification. And it's in this context of pursuing holiness that Paul addresses the specific aspect of holiness, sexual morality. So let's look at the end of verse 3 into verse 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So here Paul picks up the specific issue of sexual immorality. Now as one pastor once said, the term sexual immorality is sort of the junk drawer of sexual sins. Or, as one author puts it more scholarly, it refers to any kind of sexual relation outside of heterosexual marriage, whether it was fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incest, prostitution, or bestiality. And Paul is clear anything outside of God's plan for sex and marriage is to be avoided. So, here we have in verse 3 that you abstain from sexual immorality. Don't do that. But then in verse 4, Paul states it positively. So we have the don't do this, do that. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And this is done in contrast to the unbelievers who are controlled by the passion of lust. Do you practice self-control over your desires? Or are you controlled by your desires? Are you pursuing holiness or are you pursuing your urges and your feelings and your desires? Again, broadly speaking, and the longer I live my life, the more and more I see the need for discipline and self-control in my own life and in the lives of of others. I think sometimes we forget that self-control is listed as one of the fruits of the spirit. But we are called to be holy people who do not let our urges control us but live with holiness and honor. Let me pause for a second here and speak to the application of this. Again, I think there is both a specific application and a more general application. If you're struggling to abstain from sexual immorality, you need to tell somebody. You need to share that burden. You need to repent of that sin and build in good habits and accountability. Turn off that movie. Get that software that might help you stay accountable. You need to flee sexual immorality in all its various forms. For this, I love the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with Joseph. What does he do? He literally runs away. It's such a visual picture of what we are to do spiritually. He didn't try to figure it out. He didn't try to manage the situation. Sometimes the best course of action is literally to run away. The life that God calls us to live avoids and flees from sexual immorality, and practices self-control. But these are also applicable to every single aspect of our lives. We are called to flee from sin in any form. Don't entertain That sin, whatever that sin is for you. Don't try to manage it. But instead, practice self control in the pursuit of holiness. Again, this affects every single aspect of our lives, it's not just for the sexual sin. It's for every single thing that we do. Am I running away from what is wrong? And am I practicing self-control in every aspect of my life in pursuit of holiness? Again, it's a simple question that I think has the capacity to change our lives. In everything that we do, am I choosing the holy thing? Am I choosing to do what is right? Am I choosing to do what God would do? Am I being in control of my life? In verse 6, to help us understand the weight of this issue, Paul adds a warning to what he has said against sexual immorality. Look at verse 6 with me. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. There is a warning against, sinning against our fellow believers. Now, as with the previous verses, when Paul says, in this matter it seems best to understand that this is still in the context of sexual sin. Again, we're not told the details. We can assume the Thessalonians knew the details. There's a warning against those who would sexually sin against others, especially their brothers and sisters in Christ. That often when we sin sexually, it is against someone else. Isn't that a lie we want to believe, that our sin only affects us? but that God holds us responsible for our sin against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, there's another general application there. God is very concerned how you treat others. When it comes to holiness, it's not just the monks of old where they sat in a room and prayed all day. Now, how do you interact with others in a way that is holy? And to take that seriously because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. The word avenger there can be defined this way. One who chastises those who do evil, executing the judicial decision civic officials who punished those who violated the law were avengers in places like Romans chapter 13. There is a warning that no sin is secret from God. And there is a warning that even if the court system has no problem with the sin, God still cares. Some of the things included in Paul's definition of sexual morality were very much welcomed in the larger culture. And just because the court won't get you on that doesn't mean God does not see what you have done. And when you sin against others, you need to know that God will execute justice. This is truly a solemn warning for us as we pursue holiness. The solemnity here helps us to understand that God does care about sin. And it is a big deal because that's one of the ways we get around it. We get around pursuing holiness by saying, well, what I did, it wasn't that bad. But God will bring justice on what goes against his law and his rule. Paul closes this part of the passage now that he has called us what not to do and given us a stern warning about the justice of God, he ends in verses 7 to 8 with this, the holy calling empowered by the Holy Spirit. Follow along as I read 7 and 8. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul concludes this part of the passage by speaking about God's call in our lives. Again, what has God called me to do? He has called me not for impurity, but for holiness. Just as God has called us to salvation in Christ, we also see here that he has called us to live a holy life that is pleasing to him. We think of 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called in the light of God's salvation to a life of living in the light of his holiness. We are called to no longer walk in the darkness of impurity. And verse 8 speaks to the motivation for this life. It's twofold here. Number one, to ignore this teaching is to ignore God himself. Verse 8, it's very clear. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. To please God is to follow what Paul has said here and to live lives Of holiness. And to reject that is not just to reject Paul, because that would be easy. But to reject what Paul has written here is to reject the very words of God. But there's also a positive motivation here. How is God described here? Because if you're feeling overwhelmed, Some of that is good. You should feel a little overwhelmed by this. That we are called to be holy in everything that we do. And that God sees what we do. And God is a God of true justice. But there's hope at the end. We are not alone in this pursuit of holiness. That as we pursue God's will for our lives and our sanctification, God has given us his Holy Spirit. You can pursue holiness because God has given all believers his Holy Spirit to convict us, to empower us, to guide us there's hope at the end here that you can live a holy life. You can live a life that you ought, that pleases God because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You can please God. You can live with self-control. Too often we are overwhelmed by our sin because we see no hope. We see no hope of overcoming it. But you have hope because you have the Holy Spirit. couple applications as we close up this morning. Number one, pretty broadly here, don't ignore your Bible. To ignore the Bible is to ignore God himself. That's pretty clear in the text. And generally speaking, as American Christians, we know what it says, so let's do it. You know what you should do. Nine times out of ten, you know the right choice. The real question is, will you obey? Will you pursue holiness? And secondly there, pursue a holy life that pleases God. It sounds overly simple, but, but it's profound in that God cares how you live your life. And too often we live that God is sort of neutral to us. Everything we do should be done in obedience to God and in following what he has said, even our sexuality. Every aspect of our lives must be lived out in a way that pleases God. This is God's will for your life. So, when you ask yourself, what does God want me to do? What's His will for my life? Pursue holiness. Number three, on the specific issue of sexual immorality, live a holy life and flee from sin. Be honest with yourself. So often, that is the beginning of finding freedom from sin. God does take sexual sin seriously. Make real changes in your life. And to do that, you may need to find accountability. You may need to partner with someone else to pursue holiness together. And my biggest warning on this is don't be foolish. Don't say, ah, I'm fine. Take seriously God's call to pursue sexual holiness in your life. For God brings justice on sin, especially sin against other people. Paul explicitly and solemnly warns the church about God's justice. Don't be flippant towards sin. And be warned that God does judge sin. God's judgment and justice is real. And finally, in this huge calling, we must remember that we have the Holy Spirit to guide and empower us. When God calls us to holiness, he provides the Holy Spirit so that we actually can pursue holiness. The Spirit makes our pursuit of holiness possible. He convicts us, he guides us, and he empowers our holy living. God calls us all to live lives of holiness. God calls all of us to live every single part of our lives in a way that is pleasing to him. And thankfully, God gives us his spirit so that we can live a holy life that is pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. that through your word today, we would see our need to pursue sanctification. That this is what you want for our lives. God, that every day in all those small decisions, we would say to ourselves, how can I live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? And that we would practice self-control and not be run by our desires, but be run by your desire for us, our sanctification. God, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit who convicts, who leads, guides, and empowers our living, our holy living that is pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.